Hello, this is Nick, and welcome to a mini-pod of Scuttlebutt. This is our first mini-pod, and i uh, pretty excited to bring this to you. So as we've been going through the uh, Four Chaplain story, we've been fighting little stories along the way, and just thought we'd try out mini-pods to kind of see how that might work out. So without further ado, let's dive into this one. When the United States shifted into a state of total war to combat the Axis powers of World War II, Anything and everything that could be used in the war effort was put into service. As part of our Fort Chaplin series, you can learn a lot about how the USA Dorchester was put into service as a troop transport and about how the Chaplain's Corps was filled out. But in this quick mini-podcast, we want to shed a little more light on the Coast Guard cutters that were escorting the transports that night, and more specifically, we want to explore the story of the U.S. Coast Guard cutter Escanaba. In the 1930s, the Coast Guard and its fleet mostly worked to keep commercial shipping flowing and legal. Using old hand-me-down Navy destroyers, they interdicted Prohibition-era alcohol trade. The Coast Guard, not really being in the destroyer business, quickly replaced these aged World War I-era ships with new, smaller, more capable cutters that could more ably carry out the Coast Guard's missions. One of these new cutters was the U.S. Coast Guard ship, the Escanaba, built in Michigan to serve on the Great Lakes. It could enforce the law, conduct rescue missions, and break up winter ice to enable merchant vessels to sail at all times of year. She operated out of Grand Haven, Michigan, and was a point of pride for the folks who lived there. An interesting side note, future Coast Guard Commandant Edwin J. Rowland served aboard the Escanaba from shortly after she launched in November 1932 until 1934. There were six Algonquin-class cutters built in Michigan in addition to the Escanaba. There was the Algonquin, Comanche, Mohawk, Onondaga, and Tahoma. Designed to be operated on lakes and rivers, the 165-foot-long vessels could reach speeds of only about 13 knots. Built for the cold and carrying out a versatile mission, the cutters were a perfect fit to escort ships in the North Atlantic when America entered World War II. As every available resource was directed towards the war effort in 1942, the Great Lakes cutters of the Coast Guard were restationed around the country and some even joining the Navy fleet operations. Coast Guardsmen manned small craft to cover the marine landing at Guadalcanal, in fact. The Coast Guard operated a naval operations base at Guadalcanal, Knob Cactus, and worked to provide supplies and supporting 1st Marine divisions in their operations around the archipelago. In fact, the only Coast Guardsman to ever earn the Medal of Honor, Douglas Monroe, gave his life providing covering fire and extracting marines from a stranded landing vehicle during the ambush landings at Point Cruz, which, you history buffs might know, also involved Chesty Polar. Guadalcanal is a whole different story that we can cover more detail in the future. Let's redirect ourselves back to the North Atlantic, where the Coast Guard cutters, including Escanaba, were working to escort convoys of troops and supplies in the Greenland Patrol Service. Now based at a new home port in Boston, the Coast Guard cutters were running escort duty, weather patrol, and performing search and rescue operations. In this time before weather satellites or weather radar, weather patrol consisted of boats running between two weather stations, collecting and communicating weather information, primarily to flight planners, but also to convoy logisticians and strategists. Because merchant ships stuck to a very specific route, their ability to relay weather information was very limited. While out on patrol, the cutters would also be on high alert for submarine activity. Many of the Coast Guard's boats had been hastily upgraded with new weapons and communications equipment for the war. 
On the 15th of June, 1942, Escanaba made use of these upgrades to attack two distinct submarine contacts. She could not confirm any sinkings and returned to the convoy where she rescued 20 people from the sinking SS Cherokee, which had been struck by a U-boat around the same time. Later in the month, she was given credit for sinking two submarines. Escanaba wasn't the only Coast Guard vessel making an impact. Her sister ship, the Mohawk, that same year, had started aggressively pursuing submarines, and by the end of the war had attacked 14 different submarines. On D-Day, Mohawk was the final ship to report that the weather was clear enough to proceed with the operation. In waters all around the world, the Coast Guard was supplementing naval power and securing American lives. Escanaba, her sister ship Comanche, and another larger Coast Guard cutter, Tampa, were escorting the SSAT Dorchester and two other ships to Greenland on February 3, 1943, when German submarine U-233, a successful raider, confirmed to have sunk five vessels throughout the war, including a Royal Navy destroyer, managed to sink the Dorchester. In frigid Labrador waters, Escanaba deployed a new rescue technique with divers in survival suits and managed to pluck 133 survivors from the water. They were pulling out survivors out of the water so quickly that they even started to retrieve victims who appeared to be dead. Of those 50 seemingly dead bodies, 38 were actually survivors and would have been left for dead if not for the Escanaba. Unfortunately, while the Mohawk and the rest of Escanaba's sister ships would be around throughout the war, the same was not true for Escanaba. On the 13th of June, 1943, Escanaba was struck by a mine and sank within minutes. The only two survivors were unconscious, but stuck to floating debris by their frozen clothing, which allowed them to be rescued. Only one body was recovered of the 103 lost crew members. The city of Grand Haven had followed the exploits of their cutter throughout the war and were devastated by the loss of Escanaba. The city, to this day, holds a memorial service every year to honor the 103 men who had lost their lives aboard the ship and the Coast Guard commissioned a new Escanaba in 1987 to carry on its legacy. Whether by luck, fate, or something else, the Escanaba and its new rescue gear and technique were on hand for the sinking of the Dorchester and were able to squeeze 133 survivors onto a 165-foot ship operating with a crew of 105. Though the cutter was lost shortly thereafter, it represents everything the Coast Guard contributed to the war effort, risking itself to save lives and completing every task assigned to it in hostile and unforgiving waters. Thanks for joining me in our first mini-pod. This has been Nick, and we'll see you around. Take it easy.